0: You're about to view an episode of Sites on EdTech, Zanichelli Ventures interview series with people from the education technologies world. I'm your host, Luigi Morino, and in this episode, I interviewed Will Fan, CEO of New Campus, a modern growth and leadership school aiming to bring accessible business education to anyone, anywhere, through live streamed classes, conferences, and mentoring sessions led by diverse global experts. Here is the interview. So thank you for being with us today, Will.
1: Yeah, really excited to be here, Luigi.
0: So uh, could you explain a little bit what New Campus is?
1: Sure, so I run uh, a new type of business school uh, called New Campus. Um, The thesis is building better people leaders to build better companies, uh, building better companies to solve uh, some of the world's most pressing problems. Um, And the vehicle behind this is management training uh, for first-time leaders at hyper growth companies all across Asia. Um, I think for us, it's looking at a few key things. One is, how do you reinvent new leaders? Um, how do you make business education accessible? And how do you actually really rethink um, the way that leadership training, business training uh, is designed, built, and delivered?
0: OK, okay. so do you um, target individuals directly, or do you work mostly with teams?
1: So we have a few different channels. Um, You know, obviously the longer term vision um, is to make business education accessible to all. Um, But currently we have a combination of uh, hyper growth, scale ups, tech companies sending their teams, um, individuals paying uh, for our programs, but also governments uh, sponsoring teams to send uh, their individual learners through. So it's really sort of that hybrid of uh, multiple different models.
0: Okay, wow. So you've launched all of these models already. How long have you been running them for?
1: Very long time. Um, So the journey uh, with New Campus really started off um, with our predecessor, QLC. Um, QLC uh, built programs, business programs with universities all across Asia Pacific, the Middle East, uh, and China. Um, We did that for about four years, my team and I. And what we realized. you know, being a broken part of the system was by the time curriculum and content is deployed, it's already updated. Uh, But then secondly, um, you know, if you look at the university um, system, it only really supports, um, you know, a graduate student until they enter the workforce. Uh, And as our learners, um, you know, evolved and graduated the workforce, one big question that we always had was, how do we help them upskill, reinvent, um, you know, reskill them as they you know, figure out what they do uh, in the next steps of their careers. So New Campus has actually been around since 2018. Um, with the pandemic and, and with COVID, it really put a spotlight in our work. Um, and the focus area right now um, is really supporting these hyper-growth companies that are going through explosive change. How do you support the middle management and leadership layer, uh, which is where we're currently playing in?
0: Did did you know this would be your target customer since the very beginning or is that actually something you found out while running the company?
1: I think there's two answers uh, to this, Luigi. Um, The first is my why, my team's why. And the second is um, what happens, uh, you know, beyond a founder's, uh, you know, dream and mission and vision Uh, for my personal why I you know came from an immigrant family um, who sent me to university so I knew and I know how important it is um, for education to change people's lives Um, and that's actually very similar to a lot of people a lot of the folks on my team right now Um, and so why I'm in this place right now is you know really rethinking how do you make This type of education accessible. I was priced out of an MBA. I was priced out of business school, Um, and so my personal value behind this and thesis is how can I provide uh, this type of development for one percent the traditional cost. Yeah. But as we kind of evolved um, and matured as a school, um, you know, we started looking at the macro perspective. We are two years into a twenty-year journey building the next hundred-year brand, and what that means is you need to look beyond an individual entrepreneur's legacy and you know what happens beyond that so I don't think I ever found myself um saw myself in education or in the future of work and learning but now it's my mission and my team and the ecosystem's uh, systems mission to then you know look at lifting leaders um, beyond yeah. that um, still very early days but uh we are finding the good fight
0: yeah can you tell me a little bit more about the the actual training how how does the management training uh, come about
1: Yeah so we actually started off um, you know looking at solving a few different problems around the soft skills space. I think the first wave of education technology was in infrastructure so think of your MOocs your your uh, lms your Uh, blackboards that supported physical training, uh, physical education. Then you had the second wave of education, which was access to content, uh, your online courses, your Coursera's audacities, where we actually see ourselves in the third wave is, you know, a hybrid of both. So we do cohort-based programs, but more importantly, it's focusing on the middle management gap. Um, The average person becomes a manager when they're around 30 years old, Mm. Um, but by, by the time they get any sort of formal training, it's 40 years old. So you have a whole decade yeah. of first-time people leaders, the blind leading the blind. And as we look at Southeast Asia, which is the market that we're trying to solve and support, is you have all these young companies in e-commerce, in fintech, in health tech, and cybersecurity that are you know, growing from 100, 500, 3,000 people overnight. And so how do you support these young 20-somethings who are leading teams of 5, 10, 15 Um, and so we see that as really helping us not only support the region but lift these organizations that are you know trying to make meaningful impact and make meaningful change
0: okay okay so uh, let's take uh, an individual who starts a a new campus course Uh, what does it look like perhaps uh, you could show us something from your company you you were saying uh, uh, you have a small video we could uh, take a look at
1: yeah, so I'll run the video. Hi, my name is Shan. I'm a fintech entrepreneur based in Hong Kong. Uh, inside an advertising agency.
0: Working at a Singapore fintech company, the digital
1: banking space all of you. Thank you so much for being here. Um, Let's just get right into it. In the next exercise, really just try to identify the main elements first. So when we think about systems maps, actually the messier the better.
0: So we've come to the end of this class. It's been great to share with all of you, and I'm really eager now to hear
1: your thoughts on how can you convey those ideas in a pretty way that resonates more than just data or spreadsheet. It's Really interesting how all the plastic. It was exactly really shocking to me as well. So I think it's it's a really good message. and a really good... I learned so much today. way that the program works luigi is we run uh, manager essential sprint every uh eight weeks um so these are short-term cohorts where you can dive in it's six weeks long an intro and outro and four key workshops um, but the point of these workshops is to really focus on tactics frameworks that you can apply uh, in your day-to-day so what we actually a lot of feedback that we've seen is instead of just getting sucked into a two month program or six month program or two week program. Our learners are going through and applying, you know, coaching delegation, uh, different type of leadership frameworks day to day. And that's incredibly powerful because they're not just champions um, the managers that are looking after them, but also their direct reports that are reporting to them on a daily basis. What it's what we're really trying to support is that first time leader. Um, they could come from product from sales, from marketing, um, and for the first time, they are about to onboard one, three, five, 10 team members under their wing. Um, they're looking at a few key challenges right now. One is, mm-hmm. what is their leadership style? You know, Are they going to be taking on the reins from their previous manager or are they trying to figure out their own feel? Yeah. The second thing is tactically how can they be more effective as a first-time leader, whether it's in coaching or one-on-ones or delegating or you know, practicing these safe environments to command with confidence. And so we run these short-term sprints. Um, they're often about six to eight weeks long, small cohorts of 12 to 18 leaders um, who are in the same position. And we get them to you know, jump in workshops, do challenges, but they're part of a you know, much larger ecosystem and community of other leaders in the region. Um, so why a learner comes to us is because they're looking to, you know, really dip their toes into sharpening some of their leadership toolkit, but eventually we want to be part of their journey as they scale themselves, uh, with or without their companies, but ideally as those companies evolve and, um, expand and flourish.
0: Right, right. And, um, just before, um, speaking about the soft skills and the hard skills division, uh, you, you, you just told me a little bit about the, uh, development of individual management and leadership skills, which is a uh, very interesting uh, part of your product because uh, it seems quite tailored to the individual needs uh, of finding uh, what works for the single person. How about the more hard uh, hard skill uh, side of uh, management skills? What do you work, uh, what, what does New Campus uh, work on in that term?
1: Yeah, so I think um, if you look at business education in its conventional sense or MBAs in its sense, it's the most prized commodity, 8,000, 9,000 seats um, that tailor for the 1% of the 1%. Yeah, um, What well, we're actually looking at is how do you support 99% of the entire ecosystem of people who haven't even thought about doing leadership or business training at all. And so some of the key problems that we've seen um, and the key challenges that we're looking at right now is how do you support that operations manager who has suddenly found themselves expanding 5x in the next 12 months? Mm. Their company might have raised 20 million in Series B financing and they need to triple, quadruple, quintriple in the matter of months. And so, this is actually a, a very common challenge in emerging markets, in mature markets across Asia Pacific. And what's even more exciting and challenging is that. Southeast Asia is so fragmented, which means you have another layer of complexity. How do you develop cross-cultural context? Mm-hmm. Um, and so when we think about sort of designing these programs and these learning experiences, it's adding a few layers. One is, how do you build a high performance learning experience for companies that are going for rapid growth? Second, how do you balance cross-cultural influence? And third, how do you actually shape what an Asian leader looks like? Um, mm-hmm. And so for us, you know, we're we're really early in this journey because these companies are going through a mass inflection point and we're really excited to be part of that journey for them.
0: Sure, sure, sure. Uh, So staying on that topic just for uh, a little longer, what are the challenges of finding something that works for uh, all of the region rather than, uh, you know, just, just the single countries?
1: So that's a big opportunity now. Um, Southeast Asia is so fragmented, um, but we believe that it's key to defrag the region. And that's how companies like your Grabs, your Gojeks, your book club parks, your carousels are going to be winning. Um, it's very different to, say, take a playbook from the US or Europe and bring it to Asia. Yeah. Um, and, you know, most more likely than not, um, if they look at Asia as a landscape it's either looking at uh, India or China as that sort of stepping stone. but why we're very bullish on the Southeast Asian market is because you have emerging players in e-commerce, in fintech in you know crypto that are flourishing with such a young diverse um, you know community of professionals that are being leaders for the first time. Um, you know we actually started off with these tech companies and what we realized is they might have a sales team in Singapore, a product team in Indonesia, a dev team in Vietnam, and so how do you rethink leadership like that? How do you actually design something that works for the region? Um, and for us, it's a very big challenge. But it's a if it's not us, who's going to do it?
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I understand this, and 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 it does sound like a, a huge opportunity. Um, do you mind me asking what's uh, what's your main competition?
1: So I think. There's comparables in the market, um, and you have comparables, uh, alternative business schools, challenger universities that have merged in the US and Europe. Um, we're actually one of the first place to do it in Asia. But if you actually look at conventional, uh, the traditional incumbents, it's really universities or local trainers um, that have been opaque with their pricing. But more importantly, their quality is incredibly questionable right now. Are you gonna be paying 20, 30, 50, $100,000 for a degree anymore? And are you only gonna be able to provide access to leadership training to your top one, three, 5%? And so for us, we actually see ourselves as educating the market by reducing the cost, making these experience as intuitive, inclusive, accessible. One thing that we're incredibly proud of, uh, Luigi, is that 80% of our learners are women and 100% of our learners are people of color. And that's by design. How do you make this content, these cohorts, these learning sprints as inclusive, um, but also diverse in the first place? Mm,
0: you, it sounds like uh, you've really found uh, an interesting niche to develop your product upon. So, Will, uh, could you tell us uh, a little bit more about your marketing strategy in, in Southeast Asia? I suppose, uh, considering you're doing this uh, cross-border uh, product um and services uh do, do you have different marketing strategies for different markets or how are you going about this
1: yeah i think there's a few things one is uh the learner engagement um, and then secondly the leader engagement uh one thing that we've realized is that even LD and traditional hr um that's emerging in southeast asia and when you look at the scale-up market it's still quite quite raw so there actually requires a lot of um education that is required in talking about the importance of leadership training but also the bottlenecks that these hyper growth companies are going to face as they go through you know more and more rounds of uh fundraising so we actually do a lot of um you know content with business leaders in their respective verticals um but also different functions as well so you know one thing that we're starting to see is a lot of interest in our product leadership, marketing leadership and sales leadership programs. And it's because the learners coming through to us are going through that sort of breakneck transformation of their team size. Um, And so instead of just us pushing out FAQs and how-tos, we actually work with business leaders from your Lazadas, from your Lala Moos, from your Ovos, um, and really sharing their experience, sharing their story and sharing the network in the end of the day. Um, You can actually find a lot of our content uh, on LinkedIn, on Twitter, on Instagram. Um, but the end goal is how do you actually bring these leaders together and really tell their story in a compelling and meaningful way?
0: Okay, okay. I was gonna ask where uh, people could reach the content. Um, can you tell us a little bit uh, or, or potentially tell us a story of any of the company uh, programs, interventions? Let's. Uh, uh, how do you call them? Do you call them programs, interventions?
1: uh so as in uh, a coming to us
0: yeah 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 when uh when a whole company comes for team training do you call it About a program it. or a, an intervention or what
1: so uh so our so new campus uh clients um come to us to send their first-time leaders uh, to our program and there's two yeah. ways you can do that one is private programs and the other way is our public programs um what we're actually seeing a lot of success right now is our public programs because it's empowering these leaders, these first time managers to access a global network. And so you might have a uh, company that has 2000 people in Indonesia um, interested in not just building the leadership capability, but they want their top team members to get global exposure to learners in Peru, learners in the US, learners in Singapore, learners in Hong Kong. And so I think for us as a new type of business school, it's working really closely with these business leaders to understand how can we shape and transform these managers. Mm. After graduating from the program, we actually have more and more sprints that we're building out. So the end goal for us is to build an alternative business program that gives them, you know, more capability, more support as they're rising their ranks. Um, and obviously lifting um, their business into the next stage of evolution.
0: Okay. Uh, Would you say that most people joining your program are already somewhat self-directed learners? uh, Or is this one of the uh, soft skills that you uh, strive to impart in people, uh, self-directed learning?
1: I think a lot of people that come to us come to us because they have the pain point of being a first-time manager. Um, Intrinsically, if you're in a high growth technology space, you'd be a self-directed learner. Um, You're already jumping on courses, you're doing one-on-ones, you're getting mentors, you're trying to build your network. So I'd like to think that the folks that look at new campus are high performers, especially because of the benchmark of the companies that they're working for. Um, But the bottleneck right now for them is even their managers and their leaders may not have had a lot of experience leading teams. And so for us, the first-time manager is really our entry point, but eventually we really want to be the supporting bedrock for any sort of leadership development in these companies that are solving big problems. And so one clear example would be, when we're looking at um, uh, a tech company like Carousel, um, they are expanding so quickly. They are raising their next round of capital. They're acquiring different companies. How do we support their next generation of leaders? They're not gonna go to a university, it's too expensive. And how are they gonna, you know, have the same sort of scale and relevance by having a local trainer. When new campus comes in is you still have the same quality and execution of a top tier university, but you still get the same access, the relevance and localization and, you know, hopefully personalized touch um, for this modern worker. And that's where we see ourselves playing.
0: Sure, Um, it's very interesting the, 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 university aspect that you touch upon, I'd like to unpack that a little bit, Uh, both the MBA side and uh, whether at all, uh, do you believe that it should be universities uh, delivering management uh, training at all? So um, uh, let me start with this question. Do you think that uh, it should be universities on one side to deliver some management training before people get into the workforce uh, when they're they're younger, uh, and then potentially trainings such as the ones offered by New Campus are more kind of mid-career stages, or how do you picture it? Do you believe that universities uh, are gonna be mostly replaced by products such as the one uh, from New Campus? Oh,
1: that's a big question. It's a very yeah, big yeah. question. <laughs> um, and you're, you're asking a few things, right? One is, are, you, are we solving the skills gap for graduate students or are we supporting an underserved, uh, underrepresented group? Um, yeah. yeah. So the first question. I, go I go ahead and question.
0: unpack it as you like because I know it is a big question.
1: Yeah. So we actually built programs with universities. Um, we spent four years doing that in the Middle East, mm. in China, in the US um, and Southeast Asia. What was really frustrating about that? is by the time the curriculum was deployed, it was already outdated. And that's a big challenge that universities are facing right now, which is Mm -hmm. how do you reduce the cost of real estate? How do you reduce the cost of academic tenure, thereby reducing the cost of the program degree? And with a pandemic, it put a spotlight. The two slowest industries now moving so fast, education and healthcare, because of policy and because of branding. But that's immediately removed now where we're coming in to support the underserved is looking at the hyper growth companies because for yeah. the first time in Asia, these companies are maturing. And so they aren't going to go to your traditional institution because their, team meet, their, 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 their business strategy is evolving so quickly. How do you keep content uh, relevant, but also how do you build a learning experience that works and moves as fast as these evolving industries? Let's use gaming for example. No longer can you have likely a 70 year old person, 30 years in academia teaching the future of business for a hyper growth gaming industry. You actually need to have business leaders at the forefront of their field, making the mistakes, making those challenges, making those changes. And so for us, it comes down to our philosophy. The business model fundamentally stays the same. You have instructors, you have a now case a digital campus, but how do you actually change those levers so that the content's relevant, the community is thriving um, and the actual business of being a business school is accessible. Um, So I do think that to answer your question with a long answer, I think universities still have a place, but why you have new players coming in like us is because we're serving an underserved audience, but we're also making it accessible because traditionally it isn't.
0: Yeah, speaking about MBAs, there there has been a lot of uh, discussion on their actual uh, return on investment, <laughs> uh, how often is it actually positive? Do you think there's um, some frustration building up uh, to some extent towards uh, traditional MBAs uh, and in some way connected to that, do you um, what do you think is the main uh, service that is being uh, sold in IBAs? Uh, MBAs, sorry, that, um, and how does it compare to what is being uh, suggested and proposed That new campus?
1: Yeah, so I think um, we are very clear that we're not an MBA challenger. I think there's, you know, enough platforms out there um, that are trying to make that 1% of uh, access maybe grow to 15, or 20%. Um, what we're really trying to solve is business education. MBA is actually... Fall under that umbrella. Um, personally, I would never do an MBA um, because I I was priced out of it. Right, I did the alternative path at that point in time, which arguably, I joke that it's probably more expensive starting your own business. It's more risky starting your own company. Um, but when we think about uh, business and leadership education, it's still fundamentally critical in a professional's life, um, especially when. in that hyper growth environment um no one's ever going to teach you how to be a better manager no one's going to teach you how to delegate and coach others more effectively um and most of the time unfortunately in asia um the whole leadership landscape is still so raw that there's a lot of opportunity for us to mold and evolve and so what, where we're really coming in is with the learning experience design, the content and the experts to shape this next generation of leaders. And, you know, there's a lot of themes that emerge. How do you make something that works uh, for the environment? But more importantly, how do you make something that is accessible uh, for those who traditionally wouldn't have thought about doing it in the first place?
0: Mm-hmm. I have seen, uh, and as you were explaining, some of the um, Content delivered by New Campus is synchronous and asynchronous. Uh, so uh, part of it is programmed learning and part of it is the live sessions. Now, uh, what do you think is the perfect mold uh, between synchronous and asynchronous learning? Do you think there is a uh, magic potion that is only true to New Campus, or do you think there is a universal potion that can then be adapted to different
1: uses? I don't, if there's a magic potion, um, we wouldn't be here and you know, the future of education would have been solved. Yeah. Um, yeah. and when you talk about the magic potion, that's just one aspect of the learning experience design. So we obsess about everything, um, that can, uh, happen in a zoom room. But if you actually think about the education experience of going to university, it's everything from physically going to the campus, meeting other learners, having a lunch break, hopping into class, doing homework, doing group projects. And so you can take a lot of those elements historically uh, in the whole education experience. Um, I think for us, we still believe that there still needs to be a hybrid model of com- not just completely online, but offline when you know COVID clears up if and when that ever happens. But right now, what we're very obsessed about is how do you bring in the same elements that you would in a physical class online? And that comes everything from you know how do you make the most of existing toolkits um, like your Zoom breakout rooms, like um, you know your new add-ons and plugins that are evolving every day. Um, one thing that's really exciting for us is if you were to ask us this question two years ago, it'd be a very different answer because suddenly, post-pandemic, the entire world was upskilled in using Zoom and yeah. you know online communication tools, and on top of that. You had so many technology infrastructure platforms like your Zooms, your Amazon Chimes, your Microsoft Teams that allowed businesses like us to focus on pedagogy, the learning experience. Um, And I do see this as a very blue ocean market for a lot of players coming in to really reshape and redesign. The Question is whether or not your incumbents can keep up. Um, My intuition is they won't um, and that's okay. Um, But for us, this is where it's a really big window of opportunity um, to look at areas such as Southeast Asia, such as hyper growth companies, such as women in leadership, for example, um, and how do you serve them uh, in a meaningful and impactful and sustainable way.
0: Sure, sure, sure. Uh, What do participants like the most about the new campus
1: experience? So I still jump on calls with learners every day. Um, And and I do it because it gives me joy. Um, I do it because that's my why. I love seeing people reinvent themselves. Um, A few things. One is, I think we've been able to create an experience that engineers light bulb moments. And if you think about this year in particular, everyone's so focused on executing, on winning, on creating, on innovating, that they forget to reflect and have light bulb moments for themselves. And I can see that in my first course all the way to, you know, wrapping up the program. And you're seeing this in the testimonials and the, you know, the conversation, the stories that people tell about on campus. Um, but I think at the end of the day, we're not a technology company, we're a people company. And why we're winning the market and why we're creating that type of um, ecosystem is because you're able to meet people that you never would have thought about meeting education is just a vehicle um, and so you know what makes our cohorts uh, embrace the brand and embrace this philosophy is at the end of the day you are lifting others and hopefully as they become leaders they're paying it forward to the next generation leaders the next generation leaders after that
0: what do you think is the most undervalued yet most crucial skill in business management
1: So I ask this question to our business leaders um, all the time. You know, what is your driver? What do you mean? What what do you think makes you successful? What do you mean uh, do you think makes a successful leader? Um, And I think it does come down to communication, which is why, you know, what we're trying to do is incredibly hard because you're not just communicating or learning to communicate in an empathic way and listen in a meaningful way but you're also adding the guard of doing digitally and adding another guard of having cultural language barriers too. And so for me, you know, jumping on these type of calls all around the world, it is myself learning as well as a business leader. How can I communicate more effectively? Um, And how does that trickle down to my teams, uh, my business partners, my investors and whatnot? Um, So I do think that's really one fundamental pillar um it's also something that we preach as well uh as part of our philosophy
0: how much do you think this has changed uh with the shift to remote working
1: i think uh companies can no longer hire empower and retain people by having ping pong tables and a stock pantry yeah (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Is that the only way, or do you think? I think that that that's that's actually one of the big drivers. If you look at what happened, you know what happened with your big tech companies. How do you throw swag? How do you make sure that you have that, um, you know, clout for the company that you're working with? But with the pandemic hitting, not everyone can enjoy those fruits, um, and so you you really need to rethink um, how do you build a sustainable, regenerative culture. And I, I was actually' I'm, I'm thinking about a company that I was speaking to yesterday in the Philippines. Um, and they're thinking about, um, how do you build mental wellness into the DNA of their company? Mm. Um, because we're going to our third year of the pandemic now.
0: yeah,
1: and people are still stuck at home. They still have kids running around. they still have um, you know their partners are uh, doing doing calls uh, in the second room they're still, you know, not seeing their family for th- two, three years. These are real problems. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah at yeah. the end of the day, you know, that's why you have, you know, different macro trends, the great resignation, um, talent wars and whatnot. But at the end of the day, it's in the people space. Um, and I do think learning has a very big part of um, sort of that journey.
0: Yeah, Um. Uh, how how has this played out? Uh, in uh, Southeast Asia. I mean, in in Europe, to some extent, um, a a part of the workforce uh, had access to perhaps second homes uh, outside city centers that uh, during the various lockdowns uh, during the pandemic, they have uh, retreated to and they could remote work. So these uh, second homes became their first homes where uh, they would better be able to uh, have kids running around the house and at the same time get uh, get some work down uh, on the contrary of uh, smaller homes in uh, uh, city centers. But uh, that that is not the cra- case in
1: Singapore for sure. Are you based
0: in Singapore right now, by the way? I'm
1: in Singapore at the moment. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think there's privilege uh, in doing that. Um, and I'm also in a privileged position. If you look at my setup, I'm allowed to have a setup that I can work with my partner, who's also on calls all the time, and I can go out and you know have a coffee and you know work at a cafe and meet some of my team members. But I'm also very uh, conscious that not everyone has that, um, and I do think you know at the end of the day, when it comes to building a business, it's so important to look after your people. Um, I think the vehicle that we're proposing is through the training and development um, and the reinvention but i also know that a lot of the people leaders in industry but also in you know certain vertical functions are always thinking about what does 2022 look like because no longer can you just have another mental wellness webinar um, that stuff doesn't work anymore um, so how can you really think about having that hyper focused hyper tailored pathway to help someone succeed help them win uh, but also do that in a very human way
0: yeah 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 um going back to the uh, training uh on new campus i've noticed that uh you use study partners to keep people on track uh with learning uh now i i I actually like that a lot uh how's how's that been working so far
1: Yeah, so we call them uh, accountability partners. Um, And I think because the learning is not supposed to be one way. I mean, there's enough webinars and masterclasses in the world, um, but you can't watch a video on becoming a better manager. You need to practice it. And before you practice it in real life, um, what the accountability partner, who's also another cohort member, allows you to do um, is to really practice and experiment in a safe environment. And so it keeps... Uh, the learner in check, but also gives him or her um, a chance to really test and iterate their leadership style. Um, So we actually implemented that uh, earlier this year. Um, It's been really effective because it not only allows you to get closer with another partner, but also it gives you that breathing room um, to really figure out what works for you, what doesn't.
0: Yeah, yeah, this is very interesting. Do you believe it's the best motivation in day-to-day learning to have an
1: accountability partner? I think it's a part of the formula that we're building So if you think about the formula of the ideal learning experience and we still you know we see ourselves a long way away even though we are 12 times more engaging than your linkedin learning um how do you actually build a learning experience that is timeless but also works with the changing landscape of the workforce um i think the accountability part is one of many things Um, another area that we look at is theatrical design so how do you add theater into your workshop so you feel as though you're watching a movie um, that is engaging and enticing and encouraging and inspiring um, all of these different techniques and moments of magic we obsess and build a lot of r&d behind
0: how, how do you do that how do you do that can you tell us a little bit about that
1: how do you, you, you add theatricality? Yeah, so you can sign up to the new campus as next steps and join one of our programs. Um, but I, I, and I do think you have to experience it yourself. Um, at the end of the day, we are, again, two years into a 20-year journey building the next 100 year challenger school. And for that to happen, we need to not just to them, we need to actually create something that is meaningful and transformational and something that works uh, for this changing workforce.
0: Do you utilize role plays?
1: We do, yeah, that's one part. Case studies role plays, um, very important part because again, you can absorb the information, but if you're talking about the soft skills, uh, how do you practice and preach? And I think that's actually one of the main um, interesting points that we see when a first-time manager doesn't really get an opportunity to test. And so how can we give them that environment um, to test, iterate, Um, play around with um, different techniques uh, without it actually impacting their day to day. And I I think every person learns very differently. Um, And I'm not saying our formula currently works for everyone. We work for a niche and that niche works for us. Um, But I do think again, universities aren't going away. Um, It just serves a very different purpose, uh, which is why when you sort of look at the landscape, there's so many areas of opportunity you can tackle. Um, we're starting with one area. Um, and I think that area is, you know, the big bet that we want to make for the success of this new alternative business school that we're building. So, Will, um, before we wrap up, I'd like to ask
0: you, would you like to make any announcement?
1: I think, um, you know, for us, we are really chipping away at a really big elephant. I don't know if that's a phrase, um how do you eat an elephant one bite at a time? Um, (laughs) And so our biggest inflection point this year was really finding that fit with supporting hyper growth companies in Asia. Uh, Next year is really doubling down on that. And so we're already starting to see companies and learners and business opportunities in Indonesia, in Thailand, in Vietnam. Um, But we actually do see ourselves being part of developing and lifting leaders in the region. So hopefully this time next year, um, not only will we have more sprints, um, but we're really supporting more uh, exciting, innovative, creative leaders from all across Southeast Asia. And then hopefully we can do a stone's throw away um, to another continent. So I'll keep you posted and you can check yeah, it. Yeah, yes, in I'm definitely. 12 months time.
0: I'm definitely very interested to see your development. So do keep me posted. Well, Will, thanks a lot for being with us today.
1: Thanks for your time, Luigi. We'll talk soon, okay?
0: yes 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 and uh please keep me posted although of course i'm gonna be monitoring new campus very excited about what's coming up so uh thank you
1: bye for now